We teach economics in the way that we taught it for a long time. And we've dealt with environment by hiving it off into its own subject, which I happen to teach. And what I would like to see over the next five years or so is that we don't have to teach environmental economics anymore because it is part of the bread and butter of how we teach every aspect of economics. And I think the conversation is starting to happen, but it's still the case that in many of our subjects, uh, we teach what we've taught for a long time. run out of excuses and we are running out of time. We're looking at mass starvation within 10 years. The reality is we're sleepwalking into a catastrophe. Change is coming whether you like it or not. Welcome to the Extinction Rebellion podcast. I'm Marijn van der Geer and today we are going to talk about money. As Alvin Birdie, a professor of economics at the University of Bristol, just outlined, environmental economics has been treated as a sideshow to mainstream economics. Similarly for me, really, economics seems like a sideshow in my life. I just don't understand it. It's a topic I've always struggled with. I don't know the terminology, don't know how it works, but of course, economics is not a sideshow in my life or in anybody's life for that matter. All of us and the planet have been affected in some way or another by the economic impact of the coronavirus, for example. So it is a good idea for us to get clued up about economics and to get ready for what comes next. So that's why today's episode is about money and empowering you, wherever you are, to take on one of the main influences of our economy, the finance sector. About a month ago, fellow rebel and podcast team member Mark Smalley hosted a finance learn-in in Bristol to educate people on the finance sector and to introduce XR Money Rebellion. And another rebel, our fellow podcast team member, Barney Weston, spoke to them outside the Learn-In. I'm Rob Wilden and I am London Political Strategy Coordinator and one of the coordinators for Money Rebellion. I'm Rock Sanford and I have different hats, but one of them is Money Rebellion Strategy. My name is Cindy and I also wear different hats. So I started in XR with Media Tell the Truth and now Money Rebellion. It just makes you sound quite fashionable when you say you wear different hats, but I guess that's the life as an XR volunteer. You're, you're all over the movement. So tell me, what is XR Money Rebellion? Now, I've got three of you in front of me here, so who's going who's gonna to go for this one? Rob? Okay, I guess I'm doing it. Um, so we're trying to target people inside financial institutions and show the public what's actually happening with money and climate change. Finance as a sector is notoriously a difficult uh, approach for activism because most ordinary people uh, don't have the language and are pretty much excluded in finance. And so in this rebellion we're really looking at stories that people can relate to about how finance affects their life. And one of them might be who's the economy working for? Is it working for most people or is it working for a few? Or is it just working for the economy? We've been talking to tons of other uh, not just environmental but loads of other organisations and so many of them are converging upon finance as a, a key point of focus 
Um, so you can see, for instance, the Stop the Mining Pipeline campaign in America, which is targeting JP Morgan at the moment. Uh, it's got really uh, big celebrities like Wackin Phoenix. Um, I think it's Michael Sheen, Naomi Klein, uh, Jane Fonda, all behind that. Um, JP Morgan's the biggest funder of fossil fuels in the world. There's a lot of criticism within XR about financial, financial institutions. Why is Money Rebellion working with them? The financial system is, is the way society allocates its resources and it's got rigged so it's allocating the resources in the wrong place to it, looking for fossil fuels and things and destroying the rainforest. So we've got to unpick the rigging and make it allocate its resources in the right place and that's the quickest way to bring about the changes we need to avert or thwart this unrolling horrific emergency. If we destroy the financial system, the time it will take to build structures to do that is too long. We don't have that long. So we really have to push the financial system as hard as we can to get the changes we need. And meanwhile, be thinking about what on top of that we need to do. People need to realise that there's a kind of revolving door system between uh, a lot of between the financial industry and government. So if you think that we should only be targeting government directly, uh, the people who work for a lot of these banks and other institutions may one day be working in government. So that was a bit of an introduction there to XR Money Rebellion. We will hear more about their tactics later. But in the meantime, we want to learn a bit more about the finance sector itself. There's no way this episode could provide a full education of it. But we do have subjects that we really want to cover and that we think will be of use to you in your engagement with the finance sector. So let's first talk to Vince Knowles about the investment industry, which is a big part of the finance sector. What is it and who makes it up? Just before we start, a quick note for all those more visual learners. We have put a diagram of what Vince is talking about on our Instagram and our Facebook pages. So if you search for XR podcasts on either platform or one word and with an S at the end of podcast, so it's plural, uh, you'll find the diagram there. And of course, you can like and follow our pages as well. My name is Vince Knowles, um, I work in Responsible Investment and I've been involved in XR's engagement with the financial sector. The investment industry exists to primarily to serve um, the people who ultimately own the money or own the capital. Um, and and the, uh, the institutions at the top of that chain are called asset owners um, and examples of those are pension funds, insurance companies, sovereign wealth funds and individuals, wealthy individuals particularly. And then the, the asset management industry, which is all of the, you know, the Black Rocks of the world, Hargreaves, Lansdowne, um, organizations like that, they uh, are just a service provider, an intermediary for the asset owners, um, like the pension funds, um, and, and they help them basically um, invest in the real economy, which is companies and infrastructure and things like that. Um, and so, so how it works is, um, you know, the capital owners, the asset owners, um, ultimately want to invest in things in the real economy, and they use the asset management industry um, to basically help them get access to investments. Um, but then, uh, you know, uh, the the way the way that that kind of water flows back um, right to the top is that um, a lot of the money that is uh, owned by um, the asset owners, let's say, for example, pension funds, 
is actually on behalf of ordinary people who work in the economy. And then their savings get put in the pension fund and then it gets invested back through the system. Well, within that system, the, the way that it would normally work, um, that the system would, would come into response to a social problem, is that government would, um, would basically uh, set the agenda. The government would put in taxes, regulations, things like that, that would help the, um, the finance industry to, um, or incentivize them to invest in things that are good uh, for, for, the, uh, for, for society. Um, but we're in a situation now where the government isn't providing that leadership. And so what's going wrong um, is, is that the investment industry isn't stepping up to take responsibility for the impacts of their investments. Um, because right now, if the entire investment industry fully embraced the reality of the climate crisis, it would change the way that they invested radically. I, I think that the decision makers in the finance industry aren't acting because it's really hard. Um, the, the reality of the climate crisis really challenges the way that the finance industry has thought about the world. Um, and, and, the, and the fact that the finance industry is so used to um, deferring to government to set the agenda for uh, responding to social issues. Um, uh, it, it's just so challenging to look at a world where um, so many of the economic norms and a lot of the assumptions that a lot of these companies are based on uh, are no longer going to be true into the future. And, and so I think it's really hard for the industry to, to respond to that um, and, and to kind of step out of its, its current way of thinking in the same way that it's actually hard for all of us to step out of our ways of living that are totally unsustainable. So part of the finance sector is the investment industry. It consists of asset managers, firms like BlackRock and Hargreaves Lansdowne, helping asset owners, for example, pension funds and wealthy individuals, invest, put their money into the real economy, companies, etc. The problem then is that the government isn't stepping up. They're not doing enough to regulate or at least incentivize the finance sector to act responsibly. So it's just down to the finance sector to do it themselves. But then still focused on our engagement with the investment industry here as part of the wider finance sector, what is responsible investment? What does it look like? Enter Rathbone Green Bank Investments and one method you can use in your engagement with the investment industry, divestment. Um, I'm Kate Murphy and um, this is Elizabeth Haig. Hi. And we work for Rathbone Green Bank, which is an asset manager particularly focusing on ethical and sustainable investments. Yeah, we've both been involved in the ethical finance sector for over 20 years. Um, we founded Rathbane Green Bank Investments in 2004, um, and we specialise in working with private individuals and charities um, to help them invest their money in line with their values. So what is divestment? Divestment has always been... Um selling out of a sector or a, an industry and what we're talking about here is fossil fuels or polluting industries and selling out of them in order to uh, make a statement to encourage other people to join you and a divestment campaign is 
not really to drive a share price down. It's not really to, to harm an investment. The idea is to make a massive statement and to encourage other people to join and to, to make huge change. I'd also like to add that it has actually been a bad investment financially investing in Shell. I checked the share price and the shares were down 30% over two years compared with Orsted, the Danish uh, renewable energy company, which is up 85%. So it's a complete fallacy that you have to lose money if you invest ethically. And I think you did you mention earlier about another example of divestment to do with apartheid. Can you tell me more about what that was? Yeah, certainly. Um, that was where investors got together to um, avoid investment boycott companies um, who were involved in South Africa. So, you know, investing in companies doing business in South Africa and particularly the banks. So there's a big campaign against all of the banks. And again, Barclays featured very, you know, greatly in that campaign. They were sort of major investors in South Africa. And so we saw a big movement of um, people selling shares in Barclays, also closing Barclays bank accounts. Sounds familiar, don't you think? Especially as a newbie to all this, we talk about asset managers and all this, uh, you know, new financial kind of um, terminology. And we look at the finance sector and how, you know, it's kind of uh, hand soaked in oil. You can see it kind of through a negative prison but actually some of the work you're doing at Rathbones is uh, quite positive within that showing that there can be the, the finance sector can kind of do good mm. in, in terms of the climate and ecological emergency. I'm an XR member I may not be active in the way that some people are but I take that membership to work every day and within the financial system we feel we're, we're on the right track but we've been doing this for 20 years and nothing much has changed. I mean, we just refuse to be despondent about that. We're just going to do more. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Kate. You know, it's over 20 years. I've given up saying how many years, actually, because it's been embarrassing. But we were the disruptors, you know, 25 years ago. And it's wonderful to be, you know, at a conference with genuine new young disruptors. Really exciting. What do you make of kind of like a suited disruption versus, uh, you know, kind of perhaps the stereotype of XR is gluing onto things, etc. In, in regards to engaging with the finance sector? Well, I would say um, that we've been doing something similar, totally endorse it, entirely, entirely right. Uh, we have been involved as women in a man's world doing this <laughs> and you just sneak in when nobody's looking and you say stuff that they don't realise they've heard and minds get changed. Yeah. Can I say it's all about making them think it's their idea. So a shining light there of sorts, a great example of what the investment industry could look like, but it's not just going to happen by itself. It's down to us as activists to get the finance sector to step up, act responsibly and then go further. So let's talk to Chris Priest and Alvin Birdie, professors at the University of Bristol, about green disclosure, another method that is already being used to engage with the finance sector and more specifically with the insurance industry. My name's Chris Priest. I'm a professor at Bristol University and my, my focus is on sustainability and computer systems. Uh, and my name's Alvin Birdie. I'm also a professor at Bristol University in the economics department, and uh, there I teach uh, environmental economics, amongst other things. Chris, there was a, a lot of talk about um, green disclosure. Can you explain to me what that is? 
Green disclosure is when companies provide information about their environmental performance and their environmental strategy. There is probably some scope for pushing on this question of what is disclosed in disclosure. So there are, I think we talk about three different levels, right? So companies need to declare what they directly emit through their production processes. And then there are indirect emissions through supply chains and what they purchase in. But the third level is, is very sort of uh, small at the moment and perhaps is the most important one, which is the life cycle of the product and its, its kind of uh, genesis and then it's then, then basically how you deal with it as, as a waste product. And that kind of information is going to be increasingly important. And when we're talking about how to achieve that and specifically yeah. kind of people to target, have you got any ideas either of you on, on that? The kind of organisations that encourage transparent reporting in businesses are the Carbon Disclosure Project, now called the CDP. Really interesting organisation which looked 20 years ago at the system and said, where is the point of leverage? And identified that the point of leverage is the insurance companies who hold vast amounts of financial assets. And to be honest, will not necessarily benefit from a world where floods are flooding our homes and forcing them to pay out lots of money. And so they identified 20 years ago that the insurance companies have a lot to lose from climate change. And so they work with insurance companies to encourage companies to disclose more and more over time. And so that was something that's put in place 20 years ago, uh, disclosing basically about both their environmental performance, particularly their climate change performance, but also their strategy as it goes to the future, into the future about how they will work towards a low carbon or zero carbon economy. And when you're talking about engagement, are you talking, is that um, you know, in terms of kind of meetings or are we talking about actions? So, so they, they are a very conservative organisation, deliberately so, because it represents the traditional financial business, even though the people who set it up would have had more radical intentions. And so the way they do it, actually, is they simply say, we ask you to be transparent. We ask you to be transparent about your engagement with climate change issues over time. And so they're not asking a lot. Uh, but over time, they've been more and more explicit and precise about what they want companies to report on. What are you emitting now? What are your plans to reduce those emissions? What about your supply chain? What about your customers? Uh, what's your long-term strategy? So they've asked more and more and more of companies over time. How might you be affected by floods uh, impacting your climate, your performance in the future if climate change bites, those kind of things. So they're asking companies these things to make investors really pay attention. I would just add uh, that uh, one of the organisations is the uh, World Business Council for uh, Sustainable Development, which is, uh, I think, largely CEOs of, of companies that have entered into this world of financial disclosure and how what that means and how so that that's that's definitely an area uh, a group of people that that could could be um, targeted i think and i think there was something else you spoke about upstairs about leverage points about good and bad leverage points but what would it what's an example of a good leverage point and a bad leverage so working on incentives for disclosure as we've discussed is is a good leverage point because it increases transparency. It makes it very easy for people to make decisions about where to invest and where not to invest, and that can make drive real change. There are other. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily call this a, a, a bad leverage point, but some of the activities around trying to change culture in the way of kind of naming and shaming companies can have an important effect in creating a feeling that things need to change culturally, but uh, probably they're not going to have 
as much effect because they're not really driving uh, changes in decision making and, and investments. So, so I would say um, individuals have a lot of power. They can influence what they do in terms of their bank accounts, in terms of uh, where they put their money, what, what, what actions they take. And then uh, the again, governments have a lot of power in setting the regulatory environment through which companies and asset firms and so on make decisions. Uh, and then it really is the uh, big players who own the asset funds and the investment funds and the pension funds that really are the big players to target. Another industry within the finance sector to target and potentially collaborate with then, the insurance industry, who seem to be one of the biggest losers in climate catastrophe, paying out to everyone affected by it. And then a new method of conversation too, green disclosure, asking companies to be transparent about their environmental performance and strategy. Now, we said earlier we would come back to XR Money Rebellion. The first part of our interview really focused on who they were and why they were doing this. This part is all about what they're up to and some more tactics that you can use in your engagement with the finance sector. Rob, you were talking about some of the campaigns that XR Money Rebellion have got set up. Can you tell me more about some of those? Yeah, so one of the focuses at the moment is on banks because banks are basically the biggest um, actor within the financial sector putting money into fossil fuels. And within that, in Europe, Barclays is the biggest financier of fossil fuels. So just to give a bit of comparison, um, local governments have £16 billion um, invested in shares in fossil fuel companies. And that's a really obvious target for local groups to be um, thinking about. But just to put it in context, Barclays has 66 billion, which it's invest, it's uh, lent to fossil fuel projects just over 2016 to 18, and that's just one bank. So we're basically looking at how we can target Barclays. Uh, you may have seen Greenpeace did uh, shut down of 100 Barclays branches, but you know Greenpeace can't do it by themselves. So yeah, we're trying to sort of herd the cats within XR together and get everyone on a sort of sustained uh, combined campaign. Uh, targeting this massive funder of fossil fuels. So, you know, I'm a rebel listening to this. I'm interested in money rebellion. How can I get involved? So if you're thinking about, uh, you know, targeting banks, wherever you happen to be, uh, there's some key things you want to be thinking about. So number one, you've got to start engaging the people uh, who work for those banks. And we sort of approach people both on a rational level by explaining that there's a carbon bubble and maybe they're going to lose money if they don't take their money out of fossil fuel assets and environmental harm assets, but also on an emotional level where we remind them that this is an emergency and they have families and maybe they might want to sort of reconsider how they're behaving. So reaching out within the organisation is absolutely essential. So for instance, in Australia, the Stop Adani campaign managed to build really good relationships with the local branch managers uh, throughout the country who then provided them intelligence from the regional managers who got it from the senior management. So they had a direct pipeline within the company which allowed them to really intelligently plan their campaign 
which is a three-year campaign which ultimately uh, got the Adani coal mine defunded by the big four Australian banks. For instance, you can contact them via LinkedIn, you can send them surveys asking if they support uh, their bank's investment of fossil fuels. Um, a really fantastic thing that they've been doing at uh, within, within some organisations is starting groups within the organisation focused on the climate emergency. So you've seen this with some um, big auditing firms recently. Uh, you see it with Amazon, with the workers who are pressuring um, Amazon leadership to do something about climate change. After those protests started happening, we've seen Jeff Bezos commit 10 billion to doing something about climate change. Obviously, we shouldn't be relying on billionaires for that kind of thing, but it just shows that the internal pressure is absolutely essential. So what you've got to target is their reputation. That's the number one thing that these companies care about. If they have a bad reputation, other people don't want to work with them, don't want to invest their money with them. So that's incredibly important. And I just add to that, um, you know, a lot of this can seem really dry and technical a lot of the time, but I think it's really important in the messaging of whatever you're doing with these uh, finance related um, actions and campaigns to draw the link between the investments these organizations are making and the actual outcomes of those investments. So, you know, people losing their whole communities in Doncaster or entire countries going underwater uh, in the Pacific, you need to draw these connections, I would say. So a lot of great information there that you can use in your engagement with the finance sector. And there is more to be found this week on Reset TV, where XR Money Rebellion are doing specials on money and the finance sector. To find the Reset TV schedule, go to rebellion.earth and click on Alone Together. You'll find all the Reset TV information there, including the Money Rebellion webinars. They're also doing a big event on April the 30th called No Going Back. Make sure to click on their Facebook event. We really hope that we haven't overloaded you in what has been quite an intense episode. But as we said at the start, the economy is not a sideshow in our lives. And now, if anything, is the time to get ready for what comes next. run out of excuses and we are running out of time. We're looking at mass starvation within 10 years. The reality is we're sleepwalking into a catastrophe. Change is coming whether you like it or not. Extinction.